Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and today I'm thrilled to have Raveen Sastri, who's a strategic advisor at Zeta Global and a partner at uh, Multiply Ventures, uh, which has investments in more than 30 companies like Open, Better India, Shop Kirana and others. He was earlier the co-founder of Nudspot, a technology company that builds uh, in-app, messenger, browser and mobile push and email uh, messages that support businesses communicate with their uh, customers. Prior to Nutspot, he co-founded Hoopers and served the same company as the head of products and marketing. Uh, previously, Sasri also founded uh, Mintra and served the company as head of B2B and indirect sales. Uh, Raveen is an alumni of McGill University. Welcome to the show, Raveen. Thank you so much, uh, Rohit. Uh, just a you know small correction there that uh, multiply ventures we haven't started investing yet. So okay. uh, we you know these are more personal investments that uh, that we've done. But uh, yeah, okay. but thank you, thank you so much for having me on the show, Rohit. Right, awesome. Uh, so uh, you know you've you've worked in uh, unicorn company like Mintra, Hoopos, and others. What was your journey in Mintra, and how did you get into become a founder at Mintra? Yeah, you know, I guess, um, you know, I'm very tempted to say, uh, you know, luck, but, uh, but uh, of course, you know, I, I can, you know, Minta never ended up being a, being a unicorn, but, uh, you know, quickly on my journey, um, I'm, uh, you know, I think very similar to Pranav, actually I went to, I did my engineering from RV and then went to McGill to do my MBA. Um, my dad always kind of, uh, I, I think influenced me into, into getting into startups. So, um, I worked briefly at Netcraft, which is a company that was founded by Prashant from Prashant Prakash from uh, um, Axel. Right. I worked briefly there and, and then those were the stages when they were actually growing. And then I just decided to uh, go to the US and um, of course without a job, um, you know, given I have a Canadian citizenship, it was much easier to just go there. Um, and then found, uh, I think my first job uh, you know, really as a really junior engineer at a company called Zora. So I was the sixth employee um, and uh, they owned a GPS based application, which of course now we take for granted, but those days GPS was, was very new. This is, you know, 2000, right? right. Um, and then of course, you know, kind of came back here and that's when I got, uh, uh, I had a common friend with, with Mukesh and Mukesh had just started uh, Mukesh Vineet and Ashitosh. Uh, they had just kind of decided to start this company, you know, uh, Mintra. And, um, you know, doing personalized products, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, more than the company, I just love all three of them. So decided to, um, you know, join, uh, join the company. And also, of course, you know, I was also an angel investor at, at Mintra. Um, oh, nice. So that's, uh, yeah, so that's why I got into Mintra. And, um, yeah, and then been a bit of obviously really interesting journey from there. Always been in startups from there. So, you know, did Hoopos, which is in the baby and kids e-commerce, Nutspot, um, which is in the marketing automation space, um, really targeted more towards publishers. So, uh, yeah, it's been a, been a really interesting journey. But I won't lie, you know, you know, part of it is I had the luxury to make these decisions without uh, thinking too much about, you know, my finances since I had a really strong uh, financial backing, right? Always helps if you have, you know, if everything fails, at least you have a soft landing. So... Right. I think, you know, uh, I, I won't underestimate that factor. 
Correct. And uh, you know, what were, what were some of the biggest takeaways from working uh, at a fast-paced uh, company like Mintra? Oh man, yeah. So this is in 2007, right? So first one is venture capital was super, super new. Right. Um, there wasn't much uh, you know, money around. Um, uh, but, uh, but I think, you know, so one thing that, uh, uh, and of course, you know, Mukesh obviously being a dear friend, but also, you know, he's, you know I have a lot of respect for the way he, even initially, this was also his first company, right? And, um, and, and I think one of the things that, that he always said, uh, which, which always stuck to me, right, is um, one thing is for sure, you're always going to be smarter this quarter than you were the previous quarter, right? And, and that just, that loop continues. And so what is really critical is to stay alive, right? Yeah. Uh, it is of anything. And, and that's one thing we did extremely well at Mintra, right? So if it got to a point, we always had six months of cash, right? So essentially, if it meant we not taking salaries, we need to cut salaries, we did all of that, moved to a smaller office. But irrespective, we always had six months of, of, of runway. Um, and this was, I, you know, in, in hindsight, I think this was probably one of the largest reasons for us to be successful, right? Um, the second big thing was our ability to make these changes very, very quickly um, and, and really listen to the market, right? So we, we were in personalized products. We tried everything in personalization. We gave it everything, right? So whether it's a, a, a decent website where people could, you know, put their image on, on T-shirts, mugs, all of that. We had offline, you know, sitting in malls. We did B2B. We did everything. But then, you know, realized that... Uh, you know, it's just very, very hard to, to build a large company, which was really what four of us wanted to do. Um, and, uh, you know, that's how the whole change into fashion happened, right? And if you think about, you know, at that point, our, our revenue wasn't, you know, small given, you know, the overall context. Uh, but one of the things that we did was decided to take this, uh, this big leap of faith, right? And kind of jump into uh, fashion e-commerce. Uh, with a really belief, with, with a big belief that people will, uh, and 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 we saw that there was a gap in the market. We felt that you know internet, uh, you know online could could kind of solve that that gap, right? And of course, a big leap of faith there was people will buy shoes and and clothing online, right? right. And when many many people at that time said it, you know, not possible. But we made this big change, and I think that you know the ability to, you know, build a company that can. Um, make these changes quickly, I think is super critical. And that is one other, you know, big takeaway. Um, the third one, of course, is, you know, I think what everyone talks about is super obsessive about your, you know, key metrics. Again, not, you know, 10, 15, 20 metrics, but, you know, your top two or three metrics. And I think that we always, always um, uh, were on top of. And, you know, we had our Monday morning management meeting and we would drill on these every single week, right? And this went on. And as you keep doing this, day in and day out for, you know, weeks, months, years, I think you just start getting better and better at it. Right. And anyway, and with the core belief that anything you measure, you can improve. Um, so I think, yeah, so these, for me, these were the big three takeaways. Right. No, it's, it's very interesting that, you know, uh, in these times, uh, uh, you know, people have started buying products online, but, you know, 10, 12 years back, it was very difficult for, uh, for some of the online companies to convince people to, you know, buy uh, at least apparels and shoes uh, online. Uh, it, yes. but, but the shift did come and it, uh, when it did come, I think uh, there were a lot of stories like Jabong, Mintra, Flipkart uh, was taking a lot of revenue from offline companies. 
Yeah, and that was interesting, right? You know, in the beginning, you know, for us to, of course, we were not manufacturers, right? So we were, right. we were really a marketplace. Okay. And um, it was very interesting because uh, a lot of these uh, offline guys would actually look at us very suspiciously and say, really, uh, right. you guys are going to take these clothes and sell it online, take these shoes and sell it online. Of course, there were a few believers, you know, Puma and some of these guys, but we had a lot of guys who just looked at us very suspiciously, right? And, uh, but of course, over time, you know, uh, I think we luckily were able to prove to everybody what a large channel this can be. And, and I think everybody came on board um, very, very quickly after that. Right. Uh, so, so Ravin, do you, you, you know, you've been an angel investor, you've been investing. So uh, do you believe that founders should always be raising? Oh, wow. Yeah. I, 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 I um, yeah, go through this emotion so many times, but, but I think, you know, uh, oh, if, if you ask me, um, if you asked me this question 10 years back, I would have said yes. Right? Right. But, 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 if you, but today, I think, you know, I have a lot more stronger thesis on this. Um, and, and I think founders should not always be raising, right? I think the objective of building a company is to build a large, impactful company that is profitable, right? That's the fundamental reason to build a company. Correct. Um, and the other piece I've, I've realized through working is that this cash flow-led growth, right, is, is, a, is a key habitual driver, right? Um, so w- what that means is is building a business that that uh, generates free cash flow is is really a habit, and you'll see a lot of business say, oh, I'm going to turn profitable next year, year after that. I mean, I can give you know many examples, you know, whether it's KTM, whether it's a Flipkart, or even whether it's a Mintza, right? right. The fact is that unless that becomes a habit, right, it's very very hard to make this change, right? And you'll see many many companies are just not able to uh, fundamentally make that shift. Um, you know, large exits do not really, you know, for me, those are just exceptions to rule, right? Uh, the, the, you know, the fundamental reason to build a business needs to be profitability. Correct. And, uh, you know, what is the right way for founders to approach, you know, OKR setting when, when regards to requirement for the next round, uh, which they want to raise? Again, you know, I mean, you know, we've just come out of a really kind of a, a very, um, long uh, bull cycle right, right. Um, so so there have been you know many examples of, of companies raising large amounts just on powerpoints and, and all of that right, right. so again I, I think you know you're, the, the thing with the question is you know devil's all in the details right so if you have to start thinking about fundraising i think the key thing is you know you uh, okay so let me come back right so initially your initial round whether it's an angel or a seed round all that money needs to go in figuring out your product market fit, right? Correct. Until you get there, there is absolutely no reason for you to be spending large amounts of money. Um, and and we've seen, you know, and and in fact, uh, you should talk to you know Sumit from, from Shop Kirana, right? I think one of the things he always talks about, right, is saying how they spend their money really getting product market fit, and okay. and you know the initial seed money, and uh, they did that just you know almost like a you know for them it was a religion, right? We what are the categories that can give you margins? Uh, what locations should you be selling to give you that? How deep do you go into a category so that you know you get in, you you understand your unit economics, right? Um, and and so they went really really deep just with their money, uh, you know, with their seed and angel money to uh, figure out you know really really strong product market fit before they even try you know scale to multiple cities and all of that, right? Um, so, so, uh, you know, so if you look at what it means, 
you know what are your okrs what are your you know metrics that you require to 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 raise money you know for me you know at least from your seed betting good series a you better have your product market fit i don't think you know anyone should be raising uh, crazy series a's before that got it makes sense and uh, you know you you mentioned about uh, metrics which you were focusing on mintra what are the metrics you know founders should should hone in on and and what are the metrics they should they should basically disregard so i want to talk about what to disregard but i'll tell you some of the metrics that i you know we've uh, at least push a lot of our companies to kind of focus on right so right. in in terms of uh, you know consumer metrics of course the key ones are your repeats your cac and some of these right? right then you have your product metrics with your nps adoption virality all of that then financial metrics is obviously revenue margin unit economics and all of these are you know extremely critical metrics um, but one of the things that we start to focus more and more on is is what we're calling kind of development metrics right or or your development impact um and i think you know it's very valid especially in this covid 19 days and and you know why you know we're seeing more and more uh, viruses why we're seeing you know um you know with this whole climate change you know what's happening right so uh, some of the things that we want companies to start very very seriously think about is is development impact right so whether it's inclusion if you are if you are a you know fintech firm it's access and affordability if you are you know in net tech uh, if you are in um, uh, i guess in retail uh, think of sustainability right uh, and these obviously sound like you know secondary metrics but in a lot, lot of ways we are starting to ask these companies to very very seriously have these metrics uh, measured on on a quarterly basis right the other metrics i think people have written about and i think there is enough enough information but development impact i think is something that many companies just don't focus on and i believe every company needs to start thinking about this very very seriously interesting and uh, you know uh, is decision making in venture capital are different from decision making in operations uh, you know since you've been part of you've been an operator for such a long time uh, and how, and how do they compare yeah so i am you know obviously going to talk to you as a very um novice kind of investor right as in right. i've done you know a lot of angel investing and 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 all of that but in venture capital but but let me tell you some of the things at least for me that i've seen uh uh you know the last year since i've been in in uh, very seriously thinking about venture capital right? right so one is the a lot of the operational metrics tend to be at least in my experience a lot of short to medium term right in most cases um again i don't want to generalize but in most cases the operation metrics are short to medium term you know how do i increase my revenue how do i reduce costs what do i do to increase repeats adoption stickiness all of that right right uh, these data tend to be your operation metrics that you kind of focus on and obviously all your decisions are based on some of the metrics that you are trying to uh, improve right uh, venture capital in general tends to play out on i think slightly longer term right results tend to play out over 7 9 years right right um you know so for example you start with the theses right um and and you know for for example a big thesis in in edtech is that uh, the gap between education and outcome and we define education as how we learn right and 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 outcome as what we want out of education right we have a big thesis has been that that gap is only increasing right um and and technology has a way to fundamentally Uh, alter that or reduce the gap significantly um now this is great the the the, the thing is that this is going to start playing out in the next 7 9 years right correct, uh, correct so so as much as 
you know, it is, it's important to kind of look at these micro changes that are happening today. Um, the, the results of this, you'll see only over the long term, right? So that's why this decision making is, is, is I think, you know, fundamentally different. Got it. Got um, yeah. Interesting. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, you mentioned about the COVID, uh, you know, we, we're recording this podcast in, in March, uh, you know, in, in these times of uh, uh, coronavirus, uh, you know, how should founders be prepared in terms of allocating capital and people and, you know, what would, what would be your advice on that? Yeah. So this is something that we've discussed a lot internally between, you know, my partners, um, you know, Sanjay and, and Bhushan who also have actually a lot of experience in, uh, in running companies. Bhushan was the uh, president of, of Paytm. Um, okay. Sanjay has been a marketing guy throughout, right? And, and we've spent you know, a lot of time looking deeply into what our company that we've invested in together, which is close to 30 companies, you know, how should they start thinking about uh, COVID, post-COVID uh, times? Um, so I think uh, two things, right? So um, one is fundraise is, is clearly going to be difficult. Um, okay. I think uh, it is going to get trickier. Um, lot of lot of funds are going to start looking internally to first look at funding their own portfolio companies even before they look out, right? Right. Um, so what this means is many of the companies that have not, you know, again raised large rounds or, or are you know at the end of the cycle are ready to raise new rounds. I think one of the things they have to do now is figure out how they're going to ensure that the money lasts them for the next 12, 18 months at least, right? right. Um, so that's one advice, right? For sure, you have to figure out how to last the next 12, 18 months. Um, now, the companies that um, obviously have enough money and have just raised, uh, you know, I think for them, it becomes, you know, critical to still be very prudent about how they spend money. For example, spending on marketing right now, uh, I mean, obviously a lot of it depends on the sector you're in and all of that. But, but we believe that, you know, many, many, in, in, many verticals spending on marketing right now is useless, right? Okay. Uh, they just need to, you know, get it to zero, close to zero till things get to close to normal, which we don't know when it will happen. It's such an unknown. Can it happen in three weeks? Unlikely. Can it happen three months? Possibly. Can it happen six months? Most likely, right? Um, so essentially start looking at your marketing budgets like that, right? Okay. Um, and, and I think that's critical. Third is people, you know, of course, you know, I think one of the our recommendations obviously is, is avoid removing people at this point because you'll spend much more than that in the next six months, six, nine months uh, to hire people. Um, so we, you know, uh, teams with strong culture uh, and hopefully many of our companies actually have that, you know, talk internally and try and figure out how you can move your, a uh, lot of your fixed pay into variable, right? Uh, and, and hopefully be able to actually pay them a year from now when things are a little more certain, right? Um, so that is at least one, you know, at least, you know, reduce your fix by at least 30, 35%. Second one is renegotiate your lease, right? Oh, a lot okay. of landlords are willing to do that. Right. So renegotiate that, so reduce prices there. So I think there's some innovative ways in general, you know, for you to increase your runway. Right. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, uh, yeah, that's generally been our, been our advice to a lot of our portfolio companies. In terms of fundraise, I think it has to be about familiarity, you know, start with people you're most familiar with, which is your existing investors, and then, you know, kind of go out with decreasing familiarity, right? Uh, so cool. that's, that's, that's about the fundraise. 
Got it. No, no, no absolutely. That's a sound advice. And, uh, uh, you know, Ravin, what, what I've seen is most of the, you know, uh, unicorn startups or the, or the biggest startups, they're in the, in the Taiwan cities, uh, even if you look at India or, or US and, uh, and in Europe. But with the rise of remote, uh, do you think a startup can uh, even have an office of, uh, in a Thai 2 or Thai 3 city? Oh, actually, many of our companies are in Taiwan to Tai Chi cities. But but the reason I, I think you know what really matters is why you're having the office there, right? right. Um, you know, if, if the office is there just to you know as a way to kind of uh, save costs or or you know some of that, I don't think those are the right reasons to kind of be there. Uh, I think the reason to be in Taiwan too, if if a chunk of your business exists there, right? Right. Uh, and, and and which is which is true with you know bunch of our portfolio companies, whether it's a deal share, uh, whether shop Kirana, gramophone. And all of these guys are sitting in you know tired two cities and um, and 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 doing extremely well, right? All of these guys, um, but but fundamentally the business is there, right? Right. Um, now you you know should you have offices? Um, fundamentally believe that absolutely. I think it's uh, uh, maybe I'm still a little bit old school. I don't know, but I think you know for me I, I still believe you need to have an office. An office is not just a place to work. You know, build a sense of community, togetherness. Uh, believe it's a it's a little more focused, less distractions, right? Um, all of these kind of great things about uh, you know working in office. Having said that, I think every single office needs to be remote enabled. Not because you know you're going to take care of these cases when you have the COVIDs and and these kind of situations. But in general, I think uh, work from home, um, especially in places like you know Bangalore, Mumbai, where traffic is terrible. I think adds significant value to the quality of life of your employees, right? Um, so, so I think it's you know having both is 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 extremely critical. Interesting. And, um, you know, what do you think about portfolio construction when it comes to multiply ventures? Are you uh, stage and sector agnostic? Will you be stage and sector agnostic? No, actually, absolutely not. So for us, uh, the two things that are, um, I would say, we have very, very strong, uh, no, I won't see in a bias, actually, it's more like a thesis on is definitely stage and sector, right? Okay. Um, so for us, we want to be the first check in, in, in companies, right? Um, and when you say first check, first institutional check. So we like to come in, you know, what we call kind of post-product, pre-product market fit, right? Uh, so that's the that's the ideal stage uh, for us to come in. Um, and you know, again, check size of 500k to a uh, to a million to begin with, and then follow on up to three million, right? So we'll we like to stay with them for a couple of rounds after that. Um, but in term, terms of our, our thesis, right? So ours is not a very, you know, again, our thesis, I think, is broad enough uh, that we can make changes, but it's also narrow enough that it's a very strong guiding force for us, right? How we're going to invest. Um, and, and uh, you know, would love to kind of talk a little bit about, of course, you know, portfolio construction, but I think a big part of that actually is the thesis, right? Um, so our thesis actually surrounds uh, a few things, right? So... Uh, we have three big, um, I guess, statements that we're making and we'll see how this whole thing plays out, right? So one for us is that traditional banking and financial services will become infrastructure, right? And opaque to users. Um, what this really means is that, uh, and we've seen this play out, you know, uh, there are two parts this. One is that, you know, the middle class is growing and the middle class has uh, different goals, which the banks are just not able to cater to, or they haven't made, they haven't changed 
to cater to them, right? So they still cater to your HNIs and all of that very, very well. But for middle class, you know, slightly lower middle class, all of that, I don't think banks do a good job and giving them access to products and services that can be um, extremely useful for them. And we think that the layer above that would be, will actually um, uh, build some very, very valuable companies. And, 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 and in that thesis, we of course invested in, in Open, we invested in, in uh, Yellow, you know, Jupiter, you know, a bunch of these companies that we, that we believe can take advantage of this opportunity. Uh, a second part of our thesis is, like I said earlier, is the gap between education, which really is, you know, your school, learning skills and hobbies, all of that, and, and outcome, which really is, is, is what is the outcome? Is, is it, are you ready to, you know, job readiness? Is it uh, mastery? Um, you know, so education and outcome, I think the gap has increased significantly over the years. Um, and, and now the good part is there is technology that can really bridge this gap. Um, so we love, love companies uh, that can actually use technology uh, to make, uh, to, to build offerings um, that, are, that are both, where anyone can access and extremely affordable, right? So what is that is like a, you know, I guess a, 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 a strong offering. And, and, and when we talk about it, it's not just about taking offline education, bringing it online, but it's really about how you use technology to, to make learning a better experience, right? right. Um, and, and of course, I think there are thumbs of example. We have a company called Skilling, right? That does that extremely well, which, which again, bridges the gap between uh, engineering and, and job readiness. Of course, they started off in mechanical engineering and now moved into electrical and um, uh, electronics, right? Uh, but, but the fundamental idea there is essentially say, you know, what is that skill required in order for you to do a job? And then can you use technology to really improve that learning? And, and when I say technology, it really means, you know, can you gamify it to make it more interesting? Can you provide it, can you provide bite-sized information so it's easier to take in and remember? Uh, you know, of course, you know, the example of that is Duolingo. There's right. a company called Music Muni that we're looking at in the music education space. It's called, you know, the app is called Riaz, right? Uh, that really changes fundamentally the way you learn music, right? It's not, uh, again, you know, so much about starting off with Sare Gama, but you know, the idea is that if you really want to learn how to sing uh, Tyagaraja songs, or you want to learn how to sing a Bollywood song, then can you change the way you learn how to do that as again starting from the basics, right? So for us, you know, that is, again, a very, very big thesis. Um, the third, uh, we'll have to see how it play out is, is we've seen that there's a sizable number of digitally connected customer clusters uh, that are being created, right? Whether it's, it's uh, people who are, you know, gig workers, um, you know, senior citizens, uh, teens and youth, right? So what this does is, you know, in the offline, it's much harder to access a large set of these customers, which is possible online. So we, our whole thesis revolves on how you can build products and services that are specially catered to these. And fundamentally, these by themselves, as niche as they are, can be very, very large businesses, um, right? Uh, so, uh, and, and of course, you know, for us in this, the big theme for this is obviously sustainable, you know, in terms of development impact, right? Uh, even if you have products and services, you know, we believe more and more people are going to talk about sustainability. So how are we going to package it? How are you going to uh, get your vegetables for it? How are you going to create the products? All of these become very, very critical. Correct. And, and when it comes to sectors, um, uh, you know, it looks like FinTech, EdTech and uh, Retail Tech are, are, are the... Uh, are the three sectors which you're focusing on? Or, or, or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, these are three sectors. We will have, you know, maybe 20, 25 percent of fund for, you know, you know, some other things, uh, right? Uh, which include, you know, I think gaming is, 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 you know, there is, 
I think interesting, not in these single games, right? right. Not in these, um, but but mostly in, in the infrastructure. You know, there could be some interesting one in social. Um, again, uh, 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 again, a gaming social company could be very interesting. So we have right. a few of these. We'll have to see kind of how those those play out. Um, but but fundamentally, yeah, a big bias is on these three sectors. Got it. And uh, you know, I had a follow-on question on the, on the, on on the sectors that you're focusing on. Uh, when you look at day two C brands, you know what I what I've seen is over the years, a uh, lot of marketers are uh, putting you know seventy or eighty percent of their budget into into you know Facebook and Google ads. Uh, but uh, which which leads which has led to an increase in the in the CAC, right? But yes. is there any way you know a lot of these D two C brands can can look at? Uh, lowering the CAC because what what is going to happen with uh, COVID is a lot of people would want to look at not offline stores but maybe D two C brands, especially with millennials and Gen Zs right. who who correlate with D two C brands more. So, any any suggestion for founders who running D two C brands on how to lower down the CAC? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, again, I'm going to you know we'll talk about our fund a little because you know. One of the things that we saw is a lot of the money that you know we uh, when we give companies right they used on in two things right one is marketing and the second one is is on hiring right, right. Um, and and you know so we went back and said you know what is it about marketing um, that we can optimize right you know of course I'm not you know again Facebook Google these are going to be extremely extremely you know important uh, channels right. Um, but some of the other channels we've seen that are playing out very nicely, right, is um, uh, what, so, so some of the channels we see are, for example, Paytm, right? Now, Paytm uh, is potentially right. coming out with this mini app strategy, right? Now, uh, can we tie up with Paytm uh, to help our companies get access to uh, their uh, customers? Can we tie up with, let's say, a CureFit? And, and, and help some of our companies that are focused on uh, health and wellness. Uh, can they sit on top of kind of cure fit and get access to the customers where it's a win-win for everybody, right? So some of these non quote unquote non-traditional channels that have access to customers um, that are very, uh, that are access to customers, you know, in a certain segment and can you, uh, you know, get your companies that have adjacent products to actually sit on these, right? And if you look at Open Financial, you know, that big thing came from ICICI Bank, right? To begin with. Um, it's not from Google or Facebook, right? right. The first, you know, the big customers came from there. Or if you look at small case, they sat on Zeroda, right? Until uh, they sitting on Zeroda, nothing happened. But as soon as they sat on Zeroda, they had access to these, you know, thousands of traders and suddenly the whole product took off, right? Um, so it's not like we're not seeing this play out, right? So I think a lot of times your B2C brands have to start thinking, you know, innovatively I think of companies uh, that that have access to their customers, right? To their core customers. Um, and, and I think that will, will play a large role in decreasing that CAC. And we love that model, right? And because right. it's such a win-win for everybody. Correct, correct. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you, you uh, basically, uh, you know, back the founders at, at, a, at a very early stage. But uh, what is your taste for a founding team's ability to execute on uh, go to market when you're meeting them early on? Are there any signals which, which uh, help you judge that, you know, the founding team can execute? So personal pain point uh, typically comes first, right? I mean, has this guy really faced, uh, you know, uh, that pain point that he's trying to solve, right? 
Um, and, and that goes back with you know how much experience he has in the space and, and you know, all of that, right? Um, you know, we've had you know uh, recently talked to a founder, uh, I won't name the company, but he's been spending a lot of times in schools uh, helping uh, children with their emotional quotient, right, or ability to tackle emotional problems. And right. uh, and uh, you know, so he's firsthand actually helped a bunch of kids, and now he's trying to kind of take this whole thing and scale it, right? Now, for us, that is very, very interesting. You know, sound like a niche, sound like all of that, but this founder now understands this space significantly well because five, seven years before that, he was actually working with children and helping them do it, right? And he's it seen is. that pain point. He's built uh, content around it, right? Uh, so he has something that very, very hard to replicate, right? Even though someone might see the same problem, for them to replicate is very hard because they have to kind of, you know, build in his five, seven, ten years of experience of doing it. Which, which is very, very hard, right? right? Um, and, and, you know, some of the ways we look at that is saying, you know, is he able to very clearly articulate, um, you know, what he's trying to build and for whom he's trying to build, right? Uh, and typically someone who's actually seen the pain point personally, uh, felt the pain point, be able to very deeply articulate it. Um, and with that, obviously, with, with that articulation comes with all the levers that affects, you know, the business, you know, whether it's through, you know, how, what levers affect your unit economics, and that becomes very critical. So I, I think, you know, a combination of these three help us with very early on to figure out whether this is the right team to back um, in, for this market. Of course, the second, you know, the next question is, you know, is this market going to be large enough? How long is it going to take to play out? You know, all of those things, right? But, but for these three become very, very important factors. Interesting. Uh, uh, so, uh, Ramin, I quickly want to do the top three. Uh, what's your favorite business book? Wow. So, I, I'm not, I, I don't read a lot of business books, but of course, you know, I think Zero to One is obviously one uh, right. book that I, that I try to read every, uh, at least uh, once a year, right? Uh, because every time I kind of, the, you know, new, new, new things come out of it for me, right? Uh, the other book I liked, liked a lot, which is, I think, more recent is, is Super Forecasting. Again, you know, not so much of business books, but really helps you start thinking about what it means to kind of forecast, right? Again, it's Philip Tetlock and Dan uh, Gardner. Um, okay. Love, love that book. Again, uh, another book, of course, is one of the guys that you interviewed, uh, James Clear, you know, Atomic Habits. Atomic Habits. Yeah, just, yeah. just love, love, love the book. Again, this is one of those books that you have to keep reading and rereading uh, in order to get the most out of it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you could go back in time when you started working on startups, uh, Bitmintra, Hoopers, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? I think one of the things I didn't do in all of these startups, right, and, and I, I've mentioned it a few times, you know, in the speaking role, is, uh, you know, the development impact, right? The, you know, how are you uh, impacting the world with what you're doing, right? Uh, and I wish I spent a lot more time measuring some of that because I believe that a lot of your decisions that you make will actually get better with it, right? I know people feel that, you know, why should I look at social impact? Why should I do this, right? But actually, uh, you know, it's not for, it's, it's not that you don't have to do it with the lens of saying I'm going to do good to society, right? But with really with the lens of saying, you know, how are your decisions impacting the world? And I think with that comes a lot of learning about your customers, about how you should react and what you should be doing. Right. So that's one thing I've never done. Uh, I've started doing it lately with, you know, <laughs> with a lot of my portfolio companies. Right. Um, I, I really wish this was something that I, I spent a lot of time on throughout, right? Whether it's Mintra, whether it's packaging, where am I sourcing from, or whether it's Hoopers with kids products, right? You know, uh, how am I shipping it? Um, I, you know, so I, I think that for me is, 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 is 
uh, I think a big miss, but something that but I want to change now. You know, uh, over the next twenty years that I'm going to be investing. Interesting. And uh, uh, do you have any favorite online tools? Example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom. <laughs> Yeah, exactly it right <laughs> zoom how can you you know for that and zoom you know is more than a favorite tool right it's such a large unlock in it you know Correct. for that that is such a big one right it's not just you know what linkedin in some sense was to uh, uh, business connects right Correct. um you know zoom is, is such a big unlock for so many businesses i'm seeing you know i do my yoga now on on, on zoom you know my wow. my yoga teacher you know never was not big on technology but now he's you know gone there you know picked up zoom and he's able to teach right the whole thing is you know these have become you know zoom has really enabled a lot of these businesses um and i obviously want to encourage a lot of my you know tech companies to start really figuring out how to use zoom to, to really scale right so so zoom is obviously a big one uh, you know slack for sure just because any tool that democratizes um you know whether it's communication or democratizes uh things that you do right so for like zeroda zeroda again you know phenomenal tool for you know to help you with the uh, all your online trading right it democratizes it so any tool that does that for me is is you know uh, it's huge so zout is top three zoom slack uh, zeroda i guess correct we will we'll put that in the show notes and uh, what is the best way people can reach out to you and uh, you know founders and lps can know more about multiple ventures um best would be um you know of course you know send us an email uh, ravin at multiplyventures.com um that's probably the easiest way but of course you know i'm i'm on uh, the usual channels twitter facebook uh, linkedin uh, those would be great channels too um yeah so would would love to talk to any founder in fact one of the thing that we will do in the next couple of days is open, you know have some office hours um, right. so i will share our zoom Uh, links for people to uh, just you know set up a time and come in and talk to us if it helps. Got it. I will put that in the show notes. Uh, Ravin, thank you so much for coming onto the show and speaking to us. Uh, I really enjoyed speaking to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rohit. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.